Bibles in Psalm 126. Psalm 126, as we continue to behold some things this Advent season, as specifically we behold the Savior who was born to us, we also behold some things that he brought with him. Not just things that he brought with him, but also things that are him, things that are his attributes, things that are characteristic of him. It's not just that Jesus has the ability to give us hope, is that Jesus is our hope. It's not just that Jesus has joy, he possesses joy that he can give to us, it's that he is joy for us. It's not just that Jesus is peace that he has available for us. He is our peace. It's not just that Jesus has love for us. It is that he is the unconditional love. He embodies everything that that unconditional love is about. And as we have spent some time already leading up to Christmas Day, thinking about these things that characterize Advent today, I want us to think about the idea of choosing joy. Now, ironically, as Dr. Jackson said, so well pointed out last week when he talked about peace. It's the same thing with joy this week. The the irony is that, that the closer and the deeper we get into the Advent season, the more elusive these things become the more elusive it becomes for many of us to have joy. For example, I had an encounter of that this earlier this week. I left the office here and was going to the other side of town to do a couple of errands for the elves that sent a sign to my uh, responsibility. And, and when I left the office, I was singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And by the time I got over the other, to the other side of town, I was searching Amazon for those shirts that say, I'm surrounded by idiots. (laughs) I was going to buy about a dozen of them and hand it to people who were all around me. Or we think about maybe as we go through this time of year, some of us maybe have have already gathered with some family and we've already gathered with some friends and, and maybe we're tired. And when we're tired, it's a little bit more difficult to have joy. Some of us are facing gatherings where we're going to have to be around difficult people. Anyone here facing a gathering where you're going to have to be around difficult people? It's okay. Go ahead and raise your hand because if you're not raising your hand, that means you're the difficult person. (laughs) You better raise your hand. And you're thinking about, you're thinking about that, I mean, you're going to enjoy the time there, no doubt, but you're thinking that that's, that's going to be a challenge for you to have joy. For some of you, your families have been fractured this year, and you've gone through some dissension. Some of you have even gone through things like divorce, and this Christmas is going to be difficult for you because it's going to be unlike any other Christmas that you've had to experience. For some of us, and I'm with you in this boat, this time of year just gets a little bit more difficult. Three years ago yesterday, my mom passed away. Three years ago tomorrow will be the third anniversary when I preached her funeral. Fifteen months later, my siblings gathered around a 
borrowed hospice bed in a home that had so many memories for us as we held the hand of my father and watched him pass from this life to the next. So I'm not in an ivory tower this morning talking to you about joy. I am in the muck and the mire with some of you as we we have to think about how we must choose joy during this season. But it's it's not just unique to this season, it's really unique to any season. Every season of life is going to present us with this challenge. As followers of Jesus, Jesus who possesses joy and Jesus who is our joy, we must recognize that we have a responsibility to choose joy. You have an option this morning as to whether you're going to be joyous or whether you're going to be the Grinch. (laughs) You've got a choice this morning going into this season as to whether or not you will choose joy. You can live with it or you can live without it. That is your choice. We're not the first ones to struggle with this. In fact, the people of God have been struggling with choosing joy for a very long time. Look at Psalm 126. This is a song of ascent. This is a psalm that is sung during a somewhat difficult season of the people of God's lives. Look at what Psalm 126 has to teach us today. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dream that our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Can we say that in the Baptist church? Shouts. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I want to take just a few minutes this morning, and from Psalm 126, I want to share with you three lessons it teaches us about how we can choose joy so that when you leave this room today, in the days that are to come, and for the rest of your life, when you are faced with decisions about will I choose joy or not, if you will remember these three things, it will help you choose joy every single time. You ready? Doesn't matter if you are or not, we're going to do it anyway, all right? Number one, first is this. We will choose joy when we understand its foundation. When you understand the foundation of joy, you will choose it each and every time. Now, you have, you, you've got two choices when it comes to the foundation of joy. And it's the only two choices. Your joy is based upon one of two things. You either base your joy on a faulty foundation of circumstances, or you will base your joy on a firm foundation of faith. That's your only two options, is to base your joy 
on the faulty foundation of circumstances, your context, or a firm foundation of faith. Now, the psalm that we just read is a perfect example. This psalm is a psalm of joy, but the circumstances surrounding it were anything but joyous. I told you it's called a psalm of ascent. That is a psalm that was written as the people of God began their ascent back to Jerusalem. Why did they have to go back to Jerusalem? They had to go back to Jerusalem because a big group of bullies in the Old Testament called the Babylonians had come into Jerusalem, had ransacked it, had destroyed the nation, had left a few people there, but had taken most of the nation captive and had moved them 600 miles into captivity in a strange land called Babylon. And when Psalm 126 is written, it is written by people who have fresh in their memory that difficult circumstance through which they came. Their time in captivity, as Scripture reveals to us and paints the picture for us, was anything but joyful. Their nation was destroyed. Their freedom was lost. Violence was all around them as they made that long march. And then when they were delivered from captivity, don't, don't, don't get any hallmark ideas here. When they were delivered from captivity, it wasn't that they were like, hey, let's go back to Jerusalem where everything is great. They had to march that other 600 miles back to a city that looked nothing like it looked when they left. In fact, Scripture tells us when they got back to Jerusalem, that the elders who had seen it in all its glory, that they broke down and wept and sobbed at what they saw. So here you have a group of people that this psalm is, is talking about. They are surrounded by hard times. They're surrounded by difficult circumstances. There is captivity behind them. There is a need for restoration ahead of them. Behind them, before them are times of sorrow and trial. Yet watch, in the middle of all of this, look at their words in verse 3 again. This is present tense. They said, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad despite their circumstances they had joy you know why because their foundation was on faith they were able to experience joy because the foundation of their joy was faith look at what verse 5 and 6 says again <coughs> These are statements of faith. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Notice their faith looked forward to a day when every tear they shed would be wiped away and replaced with joy. Does that not sound familiar? Tracy's the only one who it sounds familiar to. <laughs> Did the rest of you skip Sunday school your entire lives? 
What's the Bible say is going to happen to us at the end of time? That when the people of God stand before God, there is no more death, there is no more sorrow, and God wipes away the tears from their eyes, just like he promised to do for these people of Israel in Psalm 126. He's going to do for us. Their foundation was faith. What is the lesson for us? What's the takeaway from us? Our challenge is the same. Listen, our context might be filled with crisis after crisis. Our circumstances might feel like they will crush us, but my friend, that is a faulty foundation that provides a false reality like the people of Israel. In Psalm 126, we must make a choice to plant our feet on the firm foundation of faith, trusting that God is one day going to turn every difficulty we face into praise and glory for his name. That's the foundation. And when you understand that foundation, that when things become less than joyous around you, you can still have joy in your heart. We will choose joy when we understand its foundation. Secondly, we will choose joy when we understand its focus. For you see, if the foundation of joy is not on our circumstances, then the focus of our joy must not be on our circumstances. If the foundation of joy is faith, that means the focus of joy must be on the object of that faith. And for all the people of Israel in Psalm 126, the focus of their joy was the Lord. You see, if your joy is based on what you accomplish or on what happens to you, you will choose joy when things go well. If, for example, if your bank account, if your money is the focus of your joy, what's going to happen when you lose your job during a global pandemic? What's going to happen when you get passed over for that promotion or the salary gets reduced? If your job is the focus of your joy, what's going to happen when that job becomes obsolete or when you can no longer work in that job and you have to go into a forced retirement. If kids are the focus of your joy, do you know kids aren't perfect? (laughs) If kids are the focus of your joy, what's going to happen when they don't make all A's and when they make a bad decision in life? The focus The focus of our joy must transcend us. The source of our joy must be external. Hmm, I wonder who would make a good focus for our joy. That's what the author of Hebrews said. Hebrews chapter 12. (coughs) Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking not to us, looking not to our circumstances, looking not to our pastor, looking not to our deacons, looking not to our families. All of those things will disappoint you. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for thee, it's right there, what's it say? Joy. Joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus is seated where? Okay, I can do this all afternoon. The last line of what's on the screen right in front of you. Jesus is seated at the of the throne of God. If you were to look at the right hand of the throne of God, at the throne of God, which direction would your head turn? Have to look upward. That's the focus of joy. It's not inward. It's not to the side to what's around you. The focus of joy is upward. Because when you catch a glimpse of Jesus in all his glory, when you catch a glimpse, you understand that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. That means he's got a throne himself. When you get that focus that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that means that he's not just the King of kings and Lord of lords over you, but also over your circumstances. Listen, anything that's over your head is still under his feet. Amen. And when your focus is upon him, when your focus is upon what he does, it causes joy to take place in your lives. It's what happened to the people of Israel. Verse 4 tells us, they said, restore fortunes, O Lord. They don't look to themselves. They look to the Lord. You see, Paul will teach us later in Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and he says that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You see, joy is a byproduct of following Jesus. If you want to experience joy, you put your focus on Jesus. Our task is to follow him, to abide in him, and to focus our lives upon what he has done for us. When our focus is on Jesus, we will always be able to repeat with the declaration of the Israelites in verse 3. When our focus is on Jesus, we will always be able to say the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Joy is possible when we understand its foundation and its focus. Number three, we can choose joy when we understand its fruit. We understand its fruit. I'm from the sticks of South Arkansas where we grew watermelon and did many other things for the land. And for fruit to be produced, work is involved. You got to till the ground, you got to plant the seed, you got to watch for those weeds to pop up, and when they pop up, pull them 
for $2.50 an hour. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> You've got to rely upon the sunshine. You've got to rely upon the rain. The production of fruit requires activity. Before the fruit of joy can come from our lives, we must allow the Spirit to plant the seeds of joy into our lives, and we must actively choose to express our joy to God. Joy is a choice. You choose whether to smile or to frown. You choose whether to have the foundation in faith and the focus on Jesus or the foundation on your circumstances and the focus on you. You make that choice. Psalm 126 is like every other psalm in the book. It is a song. You know what you do with songs? You sing them. And as the people of God walk back toward Jerusalem, they are singing Psalm 126. And they're not singing them like some of you sing. (laughs) The joy of the Lord is my strength. Jesus loves somebody here. When they sing, they are singing loudly. They are singing proudly. They are singing, God has done great things for us. They are actively engaged in singing praise to God. We are called to be a people of praise and joy. And we can be people of praise and joy. Because our praises and our joy don't depend upon our circumstances or our context. They depend upon our God. That's easier to say than it is to do, and I recognize that. So I have asked myself before, I'm just going to be honest with you, I've asked myself before, many times over the last several years, why should I choose joy? Why should I not have one pity party day for woe is me? Why should I prepare my heart? Why should I ask the Spirit to plant joy into my heart? Why should I weed out the things in my life that's going to steal and rob the joy from my heart? Because that requires some sanctifying sacrifice. So why should I do it? Look at verse 2. When our mouth was filled with laughter, when our tongue was shouts of joy, Then they, other people, said, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Ladies and gentlemen, the fruit of joy is this. Other nations witnessed the joy of the Israelites, and they recognized what God had done for them. Our joy is a witness to the world. So is our lack of it. 
Our joy is a witness to the world. It is proof to the world that there's something to this Jesus that we sing about and this God that we serve. If people know that you are a Christian, if people know that you claim to follow Jesus and all they see from your life is like you have been raised on sauerkraut and weaned on lemon juice, if all they see is sourness and bitterness, if all they hear is complaint after complaint after complaint, Who would want to follow a God who does that in somebody's life? Who would want to follow a Jesus who who can't help somebody through their day? Oh, but if they see joy, if they see coming from your life, even when things aren't going well, if they see coming from your life a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. If they see you giving praise to God, even when things are not going well, if they see you giving glory to God when things are difficult, when they see you with joy in your heart, not because of how everything is going, but because of who you belong to, when they see that joy in your life, it is a witness to the world. You see, joy is not only God's gift to us in Jesus, Our joy in Jesus can also be a gift to someone else. Because when you choose joy, you choose to bear witness to the world what Jesus has done for you. See, that's where their joy was. Their joy was not in what happened to them. They said, the Lord has done great things for them. They didn't say, hey, we're joyful because we're going through difficult circumstances. They said, no, we're joyful because the Lord has done great things for us. So if God's done something great for you, you've got a reason for joy. You see, we have the opportunity today to to, to choose joy. And that choice becomes possible when we stand on a firm foundation of faith, when our focus is upward, and when we remember the fruit that joy produces. And all of that is possible because the Jesus we love, the Jesus we serve, is joy and gives us joy. But let me real quick show you the secret to it all. I could have done this and had you out in five minutes, but then I'm a preacher, I don't do that. John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, Jesus had been crucified. He had been buried. He had been resurrected. Things have not yet clicked with the disciples. Some of them believe by the time we get to John chapter 20. Most of them do not. They're still doubting. In fact, after Jesus was raised from the dead, Scripture tells us those disciples took off to their own homes. But they gathered back together that evening, and they got behind a closed, locked door because they were fearful of what was going to happen to them. They were fearful that those Jews that killed Jesus would come to kill them. And then Jesus shows up, and Jesus shows them his hands and his side, and John chapter 20, verse 20 tells us this. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. There it is. There's a secret. 
though it hinges on those two words, when and then, then and when. It doesn't say, then the disciples were glad when they saw themselves. It doesn't say, then the disciples were glad when they saw their circumstances. It says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. For you see, the Lord is not only the source of our joy, the Lord is our joy. He is our joy. To know Him is to know joy. To have a relationship with Him is to have a relationship with joy. Do you have this joy today? The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Maybe this morning you're wondering what great things the Lord has done for you. I'm about to tell you. The greatest thing the Lord ever did for you was when he sent his son to this earth. In this Advent season that we celebrate. He was born as a baby in a manger so that he could grow up and become a man. The reason God did not send him as a full-grown man was because we needed a high priest who could sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. And so the greatest thing Jesus ever did for you is he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us who are cursed by that law. And that baby grew up to become a man from that manger, and he lived a perfect life. He obeyed God in every single way. You and I, we can't say that. That was his gift to us. To obey God in every single way. Then he went to a cross. And he died on that cross, not for his sin, but for yours. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So that we could become the righteousness of God. That baby who grew up to become a man was then crucified and died and buried. But then God on the third day shook the ground and shook the tomb. And Jesus became alive again. And walked out of that grave. Alive, well, and whole. Forty days later, he ascended back to his father where he sits right now. The first advent we celebrate, my friends, that's the greatest thing he's done for you. He's lived the life you could not live. He's died the death you should have died so you can become a part of the family of God. That is joy. If there's never been a time in your life when you placed your faith in Jesus, would you consider that today? You can have everything this world has to offer. It may bring you happiness. It's not going to bring you joy. I got news for you. Everything you accumulate in this world is going to be here after you're dead and gone. Your kids may get it. They may fight over it. They may, have a, they may distribute it. But one day it's going to be gone for them. Everything you have in this world is going to be gone one day. It's just going to be you standing before God. 
What's it going to profit you if you gain this entire world, but you lose your own soul? If there's never been a time in your life when you placed your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you in a minute when we pray that you just pray to God as best you know how. There's no magic words to say. There's no right words to say. It's your heart that you confess your sin to God, ask Jesus to save you. You may have a question about that. That's why we had this time of commitment. I'm down here at the front saying, Pastor, you need to talk about it. We'll get you to Dr. Jackson to talk about it. We'll get you to deacons to talk about it. For those of us who already made that decision, it may be tempting to think, what has God done for me? You don't know, understand, Pastor, I'm in the middle of this, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. Listen, I know one thing about joy is that God is going to bring it with him as well when Jesus returns. And for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, the greatest thing God has yet to do for us is when he returns his second advent. And everything in this world that, took, that would take joy away from us, Jesus will banish forever. That's something even a Baptist can shout about. Amen. Father God, I thank you that joy is found in Jesus. And because it's found in Jesus, it is secure and eternal. I pray if there's one here today that's never made the decision to make you their Lord and Savior, that today they would let go of their sin and cling to your salvation. Father, I don't know where any of us in this room are right now on our journey with you, but I pray that whatever step we need to take, that you would empower us to take that step, that we would take it in, in the fullness of faith and confidence trusting that he who began a good work in us will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Until that day when Jesus returns again, may we choose joy so the world may know this Jesus that is joy. It's in his good name we pray. Amen. Amen.